Hi, everyone. It's Gracie with Self-Care with Gracie, and I'm very excited about our, our podcast today. I've, um, those of you who follow me know that I've been doing a four-week-long four June exploration of how to liberate your love, how to work with anger, how to set boundaries, all the stuff that no one ever taught me. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to some of that. But I, because I wanted to focus on that, I didn't, I didn't get to interview anyone, and I, I missed it. But I'm so excited to interview a very special guest today. Her name is Megan French Dunbar. And um, hi, Megan. Thanks for being here. Hello. <laughs> and I know Megan because she is the executive editor, co-founder of Conscious Company Magazine. And I was introduced to Conscious Company Magazine by a friend of mine, Rachel, who was a student and a friend. And she has just been like an amazing force of, of really wanting to like take this self-care knowledge and like put it to work in her career and put it to work in her relationships. And so she asked me to write an article about how to, how to disappoint other people in work and still excel professionally, which I, I loved writing and it just came out in Conscious Company Magazine and started to look at the actual site and the design and everything is so beautiful. And so it made sense when I read a little bit more about Megan and her vision for wanting to start this beautiful magazine about sustainable businesses. And so what I, I really love from her bio on her website is, um, I'm going I'm to quote you here and just read a little bit. She wrote, I believe business is the most powerful force on earth, and when used in a positive way, can make the change we need to see in this world. I love telling stories of and celebrating the people and businesses that have the courage to do things differently try new things, and coordinate their efforts for the benefit of society and the environment. And that just resonates so deeply with me because I've, I've owned my own business and been an entrepreneur for like the past 10 years now. And other than just, I mean, I'm, I think I'm unemployable in another, uh, like working for someone else. Like, <laughs> but I also feel like it, 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 it's a spiritual path for me that like I can, I can hide sometimes if I'm just like working on spirituality. But if I want to run my business with courage and integrity, it, it, I mean, it really does take a lot of strength and a lot of support and a lot of positive role models. So I see you being, you offering that through the work that you do and, when Rachel um, offered that, that perhaps Megan could be a podcast guest, I got very excited. So I thank you for being here, Megan, and I'd love to jump in with you and just to hear a little bit more about your journey, uh, which I'm sure involved a lot of courage of starting this magazine and why you felt it was so important. Yeah, um, it's so funny. It's, it's, I think that there is an element of courage, but I, I also think there's just uh, an element of naivete and also dumb luck. <laughs> um, so I, I started the magazine over two years ago, and I started it with one of my best friends, a beautiful woman named Marin Keeley. Um, and I was working at a magazine at the time that really talked about kind of, it was like conscious culture, but a lot of like celebrity stuff um, and a lot of yoga stuff. And it just wasn't really feeding my soul and the culture there was pretty toxic. Um, and I had done my MBA with a focus on sustainability. And essentially, Marin was also studying. She was doing her MBA with a focus on sustainability as well. And she and I had dinner one night. It was, I'll never forget, it was March 7th, uh, 2014. And 
she just asked me because she knew that I was in the publishing world why a magazine didn't exist that would speak to our peers, which were, you know, there's entire grad schools dedicated to looking at business as a force for good and how is there not an actual publication talking about this. Um, and I, I said it a couple times now, I feel like that was a question that changed my life and also kind of like shot a north star into my sky that I couldn't ignore. Um, and strangely enough, uh, I'll, I'll just like, no, no need to, to not be transparent on this call. So I went home from that. I'm super excited about this idea of a magazine and all this fun stuff. And I woke up the next morning, and at 1.30 in the morning, I had gotten an email from my old boss at the other magazine, and I had gotten fired. Um, and it was – I think that when you get fired, I think you're supposed to feel some level of, like, anxiety. And I just felt nothing but elation and excitement and – thought as this opportunity to pursue this new idea that I had about doing the magazine. And so um, I think there was a bit of a reframe there in my mind. Instead of seeing my being fired as a failure, I kind of reframed it as, great, this is wonderful. Now I have the space to start pursuing this opportunity that I'm really excited about. And um, and Marin and I just kind of took it and ran with it from there. And I'm, I'm happy to go into more detail there and at the same time also understand that the story is very long, so you might not want the entire version. So um, in terms of the kind of courage component, um, there was one question, and I asked it to myself a couple of different times during the process, because Marin and I, it was not an easy road getting the magazine off the ground for a number of reasons. We, we failed a Kickstarter campaign. We couldn't raise enough money. We, we've had a lot of, of uphill battles along the way. Um, the question that I continually return to that I would say kind of sparked my courage uh, was trying to reframe risk. And I think that we, we see risk today in society as something... Um, you're scared of being financially unstable. You're scared of, you know, committing career suicide and taking a leap or making your resume look bad. And we're kind of conditioned around what risk is. And I started to reframe risk rather than what if I, what if this doesn't work and what if I fail to, I think that the greater risk would be not trying my hardest for this and leading a mediocre life as a result. Um, and so once I started looking at it from that perspective, uh, the bigger risk would be kind of me not taking this big swing and going for it. It it just kind of kind of got to a place where I realized I couldn't fail no matter what I did because really success my my level my metric for success for this entire endeavor was that I tried. Um, and so that was kind of a, a recurring theme and a recurring question where I've had many nights in the last two years of kind of laying awake, crying, wondering what the hell I did with my life and why I ruined my life and my finances and everything <laughs> for this crazy dream that we had. Um, and then I keep going back to that. And um, I am definitely leading the most inspired, exciting, and like on the edge life that I possibly could right now. And it's it's totally worth it. Um, so yeah, there is a random babbling answer to your <laughs> simple question. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to add brilliant to the to this adjectives for that as well. It's, it's awesome. And well, reading your a little bit of your bio too, just like it, it sounds like you're such a passionate storyteller and that telling stories is so important to you. And I, I felt 
and in that story you just told, like the, the power of being able to tell the story that feels the most empowering, and how to reframe, you know, failures and in a way that that you have the courage and the, really the fuel to keep going in there. So I'm curious, how did you learn that skill of being able to take getting fired in the middle of the night, which many people would have a hard time doing a reframe around that, even if you were ready to leave on some level? Like, how, how did you get that skill for yourself? <laughs> oh, that's an excellent question. I think a large part of it was that the the job that I was fired from was was very toxic and it was really hard on me. My husband had actually we had had a pretty extensive conversation where he had asked me to quit. Um, you know, I mean, I'm talking not a week or two prior to this. Um, and so I think there was just a level of relief because I got out of a highly toxic environment. Um, kind of an emotionally abusive workplace. And so I think there was a level of relief that just came from that. So I don't think any of it was learned um, in any capacity from that. Um, but then I think the the reframe, there's an element of it that I think I learned from my grandfather. And he was kind of this wonderful sage of our family. He unfortunately passed away, um, wow, a decade ago now. Um, and when he passed away, he he did these amazing things. Like the last 10 years of his life, he audited college courses. He was a lifelong learner. He had like five different careers during his life. And he, his entire life, he said, was about experiences. And when he passed away, he left behind 11 journals that documented the last 11 years of his life. And um, a while back, I mean, I'm talking eight years now ago, I, I ended up reading all of those journals. And he really talked about the, that the most important thing in life is, is, he didn't use the term reframe by any means, but he just essentially said, seeing challenges as opportunities. And he said, you can, when hard things come your way, which they inevitably will, you can either get crushed by it or you can use it to grow and try something new. Um, and so I think that that has just kind of, I would say if I had like a religious doctrine, it would be my grandfather's journals and what I've learned from them and, and what a happy, content, wonderful human he was until his last day on uh, alive, essentially. Um, and everything that you saw my grandfather do was even in the worst of scenarios, he saw it as an opportunity to try something new. Even when his, his wife, my beloved grandmother, died, she, she actually um, passed away, I think it was four years before he died, actually. Um, he saw that as an opportunity to leave Kentucky and come live with my mom and my dad and I um, in Colorado. And so um, even in that condition where he lost his wife of over 50 years, he, he saw that there was a journey in it and there was a new adventure in it. So um, I would say a lot of it really did come from him and the wisdom that he kind of passed down to us. Wow. I I am so inspired by him. Um, I hope someday you consider publishing part of his journals just because I, I feel intrigued. <laughs> I have, about yeah. I've, I've talked to my family if they would be comfortable with me doing that. I, I need to kind of go through and edit them, but I think they are. Um, his name was Joe, and I think there, there's something so sweet and simple about his name, but then how deep the wisdom was. And so, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I've definitely thought about publishing them because if other people could read them I've I've let my husband read them and um he's kind of the only one outside of the, my brother and my mom and dad have taken a look at them so far so mm, wow thank you for sharing that and um it makes me think about how 
like knowledge is one thing. So someone can tell you that. I think we all kind of know that like, oh yeah, we should be positive. We should be able to like, like failures are important. Like no one's t- telling us something new, but I, I think that's why the embodiment of this is so important to see actual examples of somebody who had challenges and, and was able to push through them. And I, I sense that, you know, that's really what you're giving people through your, your magazine as well. Giving your readers is, stories of people who are pushing through the hard hardness to really work for something that they um that they believe in and so i i wonder how you how do you see yourself in terms of i guess i'll tell you how i see you and then i'll, I'll have you respond to that but i see you like really creating this chain reaction of people inspiring other people inspiring other people like is, do you see yourself as a catalyst like that or is there is there a different way you see your role Oh, I'm so touched that you think of me like that. If if that is what I can do with my life, then I'll be a happy human. Um, I think I want to see myself like that, and I think we get we get enough feedback on a daily basis from our readers that I I do. Um, like for example, last week we had a gentleman who teaches at a university, and he teaches a sustainable business course, and he has seven weeks throughout the he teaches seven weeks in the summer and he uses our magazine as the essentially a textbook for each week. We have eight issues out to date. And so for issue for their first week, they use issue one and the second week they use issue two. And he said that our magazine has re-inspired his capacity to teach. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like I just broke down in tears. Like I, 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 it's, it's what Marin and I sent out, set out to do. We wanted to have, we knew we launched a print publication specifically because we knew that if we just had a website or kind of a digital publication, it would just become an echo chamber of people who are actually searching for stuff about sustainable business. But if we have a print publication that is on newsstands in regular supermarkets, I mean, we're in Kroger, we're in Target, we're in EGB, we're in Publix, in addition to kind of Whole Foods and Natural Grocers and Sprouts. but we're broadening the conversation about sustainability and about how business can be used as a force for good beyond the people who are actively searching for that information. Um, so that um, I would like to see myself the way that you have described it, and I hope to be at that point someday. And the reader feedback we get so far is um, like the, the very first one we got after the first issue. I was like, all right, job done. Like <laughs> we've inspired <laughs> a singular person, and I can go, I can die now. Um, and so now that it's it's getting bigger and bigger, it's just it's just a beautiful beautiful place to be. Hmm. That's so great. And I, I, what I hear in there is both the joy of the impact, but also the weight of the impact. And I'm just going to speak about this for myself because it's been something that's been – actually, I think one of the bigger challenges of, of the work that I do is really owning the impact of, of, the, of self-care to transform a life. And it, it was something the first time I led a retreat. So I did my first pilot course, and I saw people had some good results. But then when I, I doubled the size, I doubled the price, I made a retreat out of it at the end. And we started to go around the circle at the closing part of the retreat. People started to tell their stories of what had changed and how they were feeling like their marriages were better and they believed in themselves to restart their PhDs and they wanted to have babies now. And, you know, all this stuff, I was like, I freaked out after that. I was like, I can't handle this. Like, it's, I was like, I'm not afraid of holding people's suffering. I can do that. But holding people's joy and potential, that really scared me. And so it's been, I think, a lot of the work 
for me is to just let, you know, that it's not about me, but yet it is about how I'm choosing to use my life force that holds it in some way because I'm choosing to be a, a leader in Catalyst in my own way. And even saying that, I'm like, oh, it's so egotistical, but it's true. It's just what's happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. And but what as actually I thought was a huge sign was that one of my clients wrote me, this, as I was saying at the beginning, um, I just did this Liberate Your Love, like it's a month-long campaign all about really working with anger and drive and passion and, and sexuality and all the energies we kind of repress as women and men. Um, and, and she told me that she, she didn't feel bad about being angry and she realized that her, her feelings of being depressed were actually more just her feelings of not wanting to go into anger. And I felt like I could own that in that moment. And I felt the same way. I'm like, all right, all this whole thing has been worth it if just one person doesn't struggle <laughs> with anger. And that was like the little bite-sized bit of impact that I could like digest in that moment too. So just to say I feel you on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a profound honor and it's also a, an immense amount of pressure to to be in a, a place of influence I will say that I think I mean you're in a much more personal level of influence because you're working so intimately with people and so um but I feel you it is there's a lot of weight to it well this is where I think self-care really comes into the conversation because like, yeah, there's impact. We, we see that we have capacity to that start a conversation that could be meaningful to other people that is meaningful. And there's a lot of responsibility to that as well. And so what, what came to me before as a question was like, what self-care do you practice when going through the challenging times? And I was thinking more about like the suffering, like insecure times, but maybe we'll add this into the question too. Is like, what self-care do you also do you practice when things are going well? And the, maybe the impact of that is a little scary too. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, right? Because self-care is such um, a work in progress <laughs> for for a lot of us. Um, so when things are going well, I am I am pretty pretty consistent about my yoga practice. Um, I, especially in the summer, I get, I do every other morning, I do a big hike right outside of my house, like within five minutes of walking out the front door of my house in Boulder, I can be on a hiking trail heading up a mountain. Um, And I find that when things are going well, I notice that I'm much better about consistently doing my yoga and consistently doing my hiking. And I attempt to meditate in the mornings when things are going really well. I, uh, I watch, I have this funny little pattern that quickly dissipates when I get stressed out, but it's also the most helpful thing that I usually can do. So I read... Um, whatever book it is that I'm reading that helps me kind of expand my consciousness or my brain in some way. So like right now I'm reading The Power of Now, which I've picked up and put down like four times over the last six years, and I'm finally getting through it, um, and I'm doing it in little spurts, which is actually exactly what what he suggests when you're reading it. So I wake up in the morning, I read like 10 minutes of that just to like get my brain going. I journal for a little bit. I meditate. I go for a walk with my dog, and then I sit down at my desk. When I am stressed out, I pretty much do none of that. (laughs) Um, um, And so it's it's so, and it's a pattern that I've watched. I did, when I was doing my MBA, I was also working full-time, and I noticed as soon as I get overwhelmed and stressed out, the self-care is the first thing to go out the window, and then it just creates that awful, vicious cycle of, 
not doing self-care perpetuates me being stressed out and stressed out, blah, 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 and it just spirals down and out of control, usually to a place where I hit like a, a sobbing mess sort of situation and then I will, I don't know what it is, but I can usually pull myself back out of it and mm-hmm. start doing the little rituals that I need to do. Um, but it's, it's just, and I find that it's a, a lot that I, you know, interview entrepreneurs for a living and we all run into the same thing of, you know, we're, we're essentially prioritizing every minute of every day of our lives and, trying to squeeze as much in in 24 hours. Um, and so the self-care is logically in our brains. It's the first thing that can easily go. Um, and so that is that is the thing that I am trying to work on the most right now is, is actually I put an hour on my calendar every day that I block out now as a practice that literally cannot be touched. And it is my time to do whatever it is that I need, whether that's go for a hike or go to yoga or meditate, or go for just a walk with my husband. Um, but it is a <laughs> it's a work in progress, and um, something that I I see the power of it when I'm doing it right, and I see the power of it when I'm doing it poorly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was going to say one congratulations on putting that hour in your calendar because that is huge. Really, to like schedule it in is like a is a really big step. Um, and then it's it's just it is challenging because I I think it's a lot like we're saying before like you can hear this knowledge but to see it embodied that like you can you can be a hard worker and take that hour is something that I think people really need to see modeled for them and mm-hmm. and what makes me think I, I studied photojournalism and I hadn't put this together before it's making me think about it now that maybe one of the reasons that I never wanted to work in journalism was just the, the complete lack of self-care that I saw going on, even in my like college journalism department. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's a field that prides itself on pushing yourself past your limits and the, the burnout rate is high for that reason. So I'm curious, what is it like for you to be creating like a new way to, to, to do business with even your own magazine? Yeah, that has been such an interesting thing that we're we're really just it's a daily balance that we're having. So we're right now we have uh, we have eight team members. Um, six of them are full time, and so it, it's you know essentially grown from just Marin and I, and we had a, a designer and our wonderful Amber, who's a, a part time ad sales manager. They, we were the four of us were the original, the OGs of Conscious Company, and now mm-hmm. that we're expanding our team. So it's let me let me say this correctly. So the one of the most beautiful things about my job is that I get to interview conscious, sustainable entrepreneurs for a living. And so I get the best practices from them while I'm trying to build my own conscious business. Um, and so we just kind of cherry pick all the best things and we're trying to be super intentional about the culture that we're creating here at the company to make sure that it is it promotes self-care and it supports rejuvenation and relaxation and people coming and being the happiest, healthiest version of themselves because we know that that is how we're going to work best as a team. Um, And so we've done that down, you know, from smaller things like everyone has a really flexible work schedule and you can, like anybody at any time can take off in the middle of the day and head out to a yoga class. People can kind of start their day later if they need to. They can work later if they need to. You know, they, we really 
we kind of have a, a general, we'd love you to be in front of your computer during the workday rule, but we also have a, this is your life, you're an adult, like feel free to figure it out and please build a lot of self-care into that. Um, so we're really intentional about that. We actually had a, a team retreat in May in Washington State and we actually Rachel, the beautiful woman who put you and I in contact, she was doing yoga teacher training and so during the day she did a little guided yoga with the whole team and we're really trying to be intentional about building that in. Um, and, and what's funny is I keep coming back to kind of yoga and meditation, but it doesn't have to be those things. That I mean, for many of our team members, they have different ways. Our Amber um, on our team, she has a three-year-old son, two-and-a-half-year-old son, three years, yeah, something, a son who is young, and she's also pregnant right now. And her way of kind of getting out is going and going and playing at the park with her son, and she does that every day during during the workday. Um, and so we're really trying to be conscious of it, and then we've done everything from kind of those smaller practices to the, I think, the biggest decision we've made so far as a company. So we, Marin and I, started the company in Boulder, Colorado, and about a year into it, Marin came to me and essentially let me know for a variety of reasons that she would be a healthier, happier version of herself if she lived in Seattle. And it was a really, you know, kind of staggering decision for us to have to make. But also at the same time, I was so honored that she even, you know, knew that that was a decision that we could make together. And we effectively, you know, within two minutes of discussing it, it seemed very obvious to me that she would be happier and healthier here in Seattle. I'm saying here in Seattle because I'm actually in Seattle right now visiting her. Um, and she's come out here and it was one of the better decisions we made as a company because she's more productive, she's more excited, she's in love, she's, she's doing the things that she really needs to be doing to be the best teammate that she can possibly be. So um, we let people work from wherever they want. People can um, work remotely. We're talking about doing like a, a leadership team five weeks abroad sort of situation to, to keep feeding our fuel for adventure and journey. Um, so yeah, again, I'm uh, insanely long babbling answer that is toward the effect of we're trying really hard as a company to make sure that we're living the ideals that we espouse in the magazine on a daily basis. Mm, I, I'm so excited and inspired by it because it, seem, it seems really obvious that that's the right answer. And yet, I, like, I even get kind of afraid of it. Like, like for myself, like, I, I teach people self-care, and so I, I believe that we can live a life where if we put self-care first, it actually helps us to be more effective human beings, and it, it helps us to actually be there for each other in a way that when we're all stressed out and pushing ourselves too far, we just we don't have energy to, like, give to anybody else. And yet there, I have that, I call it the shitty voice in your head. And I, I have my own shitty voice in my head. And she tells me that, um, that I'm being indulgent when I do those things. And uh. that to like, you know, take that walk is like, I, I got to get back on the computer and answer those emails. So for me, it's really a daily practice to like, be like, okay, hear your point of view. And we're still just going to go with this new model of things. And uh, so I, I, I imagine that there might be your own shitty voice in your head version of that. So it, it's cool to hear that, that you're pushing through that and really creating the culture and really creating the, the workplace that you want to see. Yeah, it, it, is a, it is a daily battle. I mean, I, uh, both Marin and I ended up just plowing through this weekend working 
both Saturday and Sunday, and you know, I flew out here on on Sunday night, and we were like, like, let's go on a little a little hike, and we felt like essentially our weekend had been reduced for to a one hour hike, <laughs> um, but at least we did the hike. So we're we're really we're struggling with it, and but we're also really trying to prioritize it because. We see the benefit of it. We know that it's there, and we know what happens if you take it out of the equation. Um, all of a sudden, we end up like at each other's throats as a company, and everyone's stressed out and overwhelmed because, especially being in a startup, it's uh, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And if you can't manage it through kind of external practices, you're just going to bring all of it into the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it does take some trial and error and some, I've learned a lot through the poor role models in my life of just like, there's, I heard a quote once, it's like seeing your um, worst qualities, like the seeds of your worst qualities fully grown in other people is the best impetus for change. I have no idea who said it and I'm probably <laughs> saying it wrong, but I think about that concept a lot, but it's like somebody who shows me, I'm like, yeah, that, okay, that could be me 15 years from now if I don't work on that now. <laughs> and it's easier to get it when it's a seed than when it's a full grown plant with roots. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good, good for you. Um, well, I have, I have a question that keeps coming into my head around feedback because it's something that I, I think is very essential in business that if, if we want to grow in our businesses, we have to be responsive in some way. And part of that is taking feedback. Um, taking feedback, I think, is challenging even if, even if it's positive. Like I was saying before, since I'm just owning the impact and really receiving a compliment can be a huge challenge for a lot of us. And I think taking negative feedback can be really hard as well, or constructive, or how it's like we can't even say negative because it's like feels too scary. So, but basically, like when someone wants us to change something, and I, it's something I've had to lean into a lot in order to like grow and to make my business responsive. And so I'm curious how how that's played out in the story of Conscious Company or in your own story. Like how have you taken feedback, and what have you learned that's made that process easier for yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an excellent question, and it's one that we're figuring out. I would say, personally, for me, um, feedback is is my Achilles heel. I I just I have such a hard time getting giving critical feedback to people. Um, so fortunately, in graduate school, one of the they actually like kind of forced us to give our teams feedback, and so I had the interesting perspective in graduate school where. I had a teammate on my team who essentially let me know that she felt like any time she gave me feedback, I just shut down. And it was the hardest piece of feedback I've ever had to receive. And then it also was the most valuable because I realized she was totally true. And so I've done a lot of work on my, my kind of receptivity and just getting a lot better at receiving feedback. And I would say, you know, kind of over the last five to six years, that has just been something in me that I, um, we had an interview recently where a guy said his best, his best piece of advice that he's ever gotten is speak as though you're right, listen as though you're wrong. And mm. so that, that's this. That's the mentality that I go into when I'm when people are giving me feedback. I listen as though I'm wrong, and I also my like hands down. I my first rule when I'm receiving feedback is don't say anything, like just listen, just listen deeply because my first instinct is to get super defensive, and um, I think that's everyone's first instinct usually. And so I just don't say anything beyond like asking questions 
like, can you explain this to me? Can you give me an example to help me illustrate this a little bit? And then I also just let them know that I've heard them. Like, I hear you. I understand you. I, I Like, I'm going to work on this. And I take it to heart. Like, I really, the fact that someone would come to me with feedback, I know how much courage that takes. And so I, I just honor that in, and give them as much space as I can for it. And then I really honor it by listening deeply and then really trying to incorporate it into my life. Um, me giving feedback is an entirely different story. And so it's been an interesting, so I've had this five to six year journey of receiving feedback. And now the last year has been me actually being able to give feedback. I um, we, we did like an assessment in grad school about our conflict style. And my conflict style was called the tortoise, which essentially means that I just go into my <laughs> shell and hide. <laughs> like I, yeah. I cannot do conflict. I hate conflict. And also conflict is deeply necessary. Um, and so I'm, I'm really trying to work on that. And so actually giving critical feedback and working with a coach right now who is helping me just kind of find that power inside me and also kind of realizing that giving feedback is one of the deepest forms of love that we can really give. Mm-hmm. And although it feels awkward and it's challenging and sometimes the person you're giving it to, it at, on the surface there is a react a negative reaction that is hard to get through. I I almost essentially think of it like this is the deepest form of love that I can have is giving them the gift of my honest feedback and the fact that this is hard for me proves how important it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really working on that and then we actually are just starting to develop some internal practices around this. So we, Marin and I, um, and our other kind of executive team member, Kate, the three of us have every other week on Friday, we have a feedback call, which we all get on a video chat together, and we look each other in the eyes, and we give each other feedback, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and it's a p- brand new practice that we just started last month, but it's already paying off in spades. Like we're we're having some really difficult conversations that we've needed to have for a really long time. It's forcing us to face some things, um, and it's just giving us the space instead of, you know, swallowing things and becoming resentful and then getting upset and making up stories and assumptions and all the beautiful things that our brains do when we're faced with negativity. Um, it just kind of gives that space to release the pressure a little bit. And nine times out of ten, when you have a conversation that comes from an honest, loving place, um, it doesn't go as poorly as you think it's going to go, as you imagine in your head that it's going to go. So you have these crazy narratives of how the other person's going to react, and then you say something to them, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, my bad. And they totally, they totally can hear you. Um, so we're working on it as a team. We've also just developed a feedback mechanism. So um, Amber, who I've mentioned a couple times on this call, she's been with us since day one, and now she's transitioned from ad sales manager. We, we now call her our chief culture officer. And so awesome. she is essentially a part-time employee. Um, we, we don't call our team members employees. We call everyone a teammate here. Um, she has a part-time teammate who she's, she's also pregnant and has a kid. She works from home. Um, and her entire role is to help with the culture at Conscious Company. And so she is essentially plays that role of like an HR person. But she is the person that you go to if you have gripes, especially if they are with me or Marin, and you don't feel comfortable coming to Marin or I, you go to, you go to Amber, you, ha, you know, and we, we've really developed kind of a, 
a person on our team who can hold that space and then and then bring it to Marin and I if there is a conflict that cannot be solved. Um, and so we're really trying to work on just a feedback practice and getting our team comfortable with it. And then kind of with we all we also kind of have like little sub teams within our team and mine is the editorial team with Rachel and Sia and I think the three of us like we start a lot of our meetings just kind of asking what's going right, what's going wrong, and building on all that. One of the things that Marin and I got super inspired to do at a conference we were at two weeks ago in Sun Valley, Idaho, there was a CEO standing on the stage and she was talking about how every single day she has six, her 65 employees, every single one of them has to fill out a survey talking about what went right, what went wrong, how happy they felt at work, um, and just like this entire kind of, it's a pretty quick survey, but it was a 10-question long survey that essentially judged the culture and provided a place for people to give feedback. And Marin and I just fell in love with this concept. And so we're, along with our chief culture officer, we're developing a survey for our teammates to take every Friday so that we can see a baseline of like how help happy they felt at work, how fulfilled they felt at work, what were the biggest challenges they're having, what suggestions do they have for us, um, so that we're really kind of tracking that and it's not just something that only comes up when there's conflict, but so that we're actually tracking it in real time. Mm. Wow, I, all of that's so great. And, and anyone who's listening to this that you are, you are managing people, in any way, I, I just hope that you go back and listen to this part again and just take some notes because I think you've said a lot of really important things in there. One is like the attitudes of just that, like listening like you're wrong and speaking like you're, you're right. I, I just think that's like an amazing takeaway. Um, and, and then also just like that we need practices around this too, like because conflict is so challenging and it, we need to have ways that we, that our nervous system can kind of rest in to be like, all right, well, I have a place to put this. And I've, I have had friends do that in a relationship before if they're having problems, what they do is they create one time a week that they sit down and they talk about it. So they just don't have to infuse it in every single part of their conversation that they know like we're going to save this for like Monday nights is when we talk about our problems. And I think just having that little bit of a boundary around it can help people to relax a little bit and, and to show that it's going to go somewhere. And, and just like, I mean, the willingness to want to hear it is really, it's really big. But I, I completely agree with you that it's, it's one of the highest acts of care um, is really sharing feedback. And it's actually what's helped me to start to give more feedback is I've realized I love, there are people in my life I love so much and I let, I let conflict, I, I, let, I let my fear of conflict keep me from making our relationship better, mm-hmm. which means giving some feedback sometimes. And I just did, I did it for my brother this week, which I, he's an older brother, so there's always have that little fear of doing it. But I like, there was something that happened and I really, first I was angry at myself and then I started to think about it. I was like, no, I think I'm, I'm a little angry at myself about this, but I'm actually really angry at him about this too. And, and one of the things that I've been trained on in conflict is like if we're angry, it, it means like a boundary has been crossed in some way and that it's best to make a demand. And that's like, because when we just kind of implore, like I'm so emotional and so angry, like it, it's not productive. So I really thought like, do I have a clear demand that I want to make? And I did. I had something very clear I wanted to like ask him to do. And so I, I scheduled a call. <laughs> he was totally like, what's going on? I'm like, we're just going to talk later. And I told him like, this is how I'm feeling and, and this is what I need you to do. 
And he heard it so incredibly well. I was really nervous that he was not going to hear it. But he was just like, okay, all right. And, I, and he seemed energized by it in some way. And so I've been inspired and I've given a couple other people in my life feedback since then. And both times people, they really respond well to it when I think there's some clarity around how it's delivered. So what, what I always go back to is like, I'm not, I'm not sure that we're taught how to do these things. Like, like we all can be mad at ourselves for not handling anger very well or, you know, being conflict averse, but it's like, have we seen good models for how to do this? And, and I, I had, I had an, I, I did a year long um, training program and how to work through conflict in groups in this last year. I just finished it and it's completely changed my orientation, but I'm like, I, I would have known this unless I'd taken a year to learn it. So it's cool to hear you already putting these skills into practice. And I can only imagine how helpful that is to your employees or your, what did you call them? Team, teammates, teammates, teammates. <laughs> and I, yeah, the, the other, I had an interesting perspective because it sounds like you and I kind of come from a similar space where we're having a hard time giving people feedback sometimes. And it's so interesting. I literally just this weekend had the first ever kind of truthful feedback with my older brother um, about something that I really wanted to say Crazy. to him and it, it landed very well. And um, I have a, a gentleman here that we work with a lot. He's, he's actually the chairman of our advisory board and a dear friend of mine. And he let me know um, that essentially he was like, Megan, like people are always going to take feedback coming from you well because you don't give feedback often. So when you are giving people feedback, then it's like, it's not, you know, it's like the opposite of the boy who cried wolf situation where essentially like if I'm giving someone feedback, everyone on my team knows how hard that is for me. And since I don't do it often, it carries a lot of weight with it. Um, and people know that I'm pretty serious if I'm, if I'm having to come with that to them. So it was just an interesting perspective that I had, just kind of understanding that the feedback that I, that I do give does carry a lot of weight because I really don't do it often. Um, so yeah, that's just something that kind of came to me that was interesting. Mm. It's powerful too. I hear in there too. It's like it's it's a little challenging to own that much power. That like we can we can really like rock somebody's worlds and like they yeah. have that that power within us. And that's that can be a lot to hold sometimes. Oh, I I feel like any one of these parts of the conversation, I just I would love to just go deeper into. But we're we're nearing a little bit of the end of our time, and I'm I'm curious if there's if there's anything else that you would like to add or say uh, to to express how how you're using your life force, you know, and right now and what's, what's, what's helping you in that. Mm, I love that, how you're using your life force. Um, so one thing, and this is kind of just bubbling up to the top, and I don't know if it's going to come out the way that I want it to come out, but so you, you had kind of mentioned um, that you're working with a lot of females and business and kind of um, almost approaching business from a more feminine place, and this is something that has just been deeply resounding for me in the last probably year. I have had this really interesting, um, I'm, I am a, you know, I, I, a lot of the more, quote, feminine qualities, I embody them deeply. Um, I'm, I'm very just, I, I feel emotions like very deeply. I cry a lot at, at beautiful things. I, um, I'm very empathetic. I'm very compassionate and nurturing. I'm uh, also, this is kind of a non-traditional thing. I'm just like a total goofball and love mm -hmm. to make people laugh. Um, and these are all things that in a business scenario, these were all facets of my personality that 
five to six years ago, I felt like I would need to hide, like I would need to kind of come in and show my tough side. And I have my firm handshake that I learned from my dad who, you know, was brought up in the military. And I can be very masculine if I need to be. I played team sports my whole life and, uh, you know, I can, I can do it and I can be that version that I thought that the business world was hungry for. And then I've had the most beautiful kind of emergence, I guess, over the last year where I, there was one conference that I went to in particular. It was called Social Venture Network. And for whatever reason, I kind of felt it's, it's a group of social entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of them are kind of more of the leadership teams of, of social entrepreneur or social ventures, essentially. And for whatever reason it was, I felt like at this conference that I had kind of found my tribe of people. There was a lot of nurturance mm-hmm. there. There was a lot of openness. I just felt like everyone was kind of there with open hearts and open minds. And I just kind of like let my freak flag fly. Like I was just a total goofball. I was, you know, just 100% authentically myself. And I made the best contacts at that conference, both personally and professionally. And so it's been something that I've essentially kind of been testing in like spurts over the last year is at every conference that I go to or in every business interaction that I go that I'm in, I just come from a place of true authenticity. Like I have just left the bullshit at the door. I have left the shoulds at the door and I have just 100% walked into who I am, which is a very emotional, tender empathetic, compassionate woman and a bit of a dork and a total cheese ball and a goofball and it has it has made me more successful in the last year than I ever could have been trying to be something that I'm not. And it's something that I think mm. a lot of women need to hear is that coming from the place and I, I'm not saying that all women are, you know, compassionate, empathetic, crying, wonderful being you know, like sensitive beings. Um that, that's not at all what I'm saying, but it was, it's more of a sense of coming from a place of authenticity of who you genuinely are because what I found is um, that there's actually a massive need for that in the business place. And when you are that, whatever that is for you, when, when you are your authentic self, you are different than everyone in the room. And in the business world, a lot of people are looking for different um, they're not looking for homogenous. Um, they're, especially when they're looking for leaders, they're looking for people who can inspire and are, are unique in some way. And when you are authentic, that is exactly what you're doing. You're being truly unique um, and sticking out in a way that they're not used to. So um, it's just something that has kind of come up for me over the last year and that I'm so so stoked that I've kind of realized at a young age and maybe essentially I'm afforded the privilege of doing that because I am the leader of an organization. However, I my thesis and I would argue is that I think that you can do that at any level, at any business that you are in. It's just it's by, be authentically yourself and it will get you to the place where you are supposed to be. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I feel like there's a book in there. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And again, I just like I'm like holding back because there's so many things I'm so excited about and what you said. But what what I'm gonna say is I I agree, <laughs> and it's the same thing for for me that like the more that I'm, it's vulnerable to be myself, 
And I, I really wanted to thank you for your vulnerability on this call, too. That, like, you, you told stories about not always looking perfect, you know, and the struggles and all of that. But it's like, I feel like I really know you. And I trust you because of that. And, it's, and it, it helps me stay inspired that, like, I, I can be myself and that, um, that we can teach people more. I'm going to ask, I'll use the I here. I can teach people more from how I'm dealing with my imperfections than by being perfect. Mm-hmm. And so it, it can be real messy sometimes, but like it, it's my commitment that like I want, I want to, I want to share. And when I, when I do just like take that first step and I'm like, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be like friendly in this situation and I'm going to, I'm going to listen. I'm not going to try to get my point across. I'm just going to really listen. It just, it is amazing how transformative that is. So um, I've learned a lot and I would love to have you back on the podcast sometime. Maybe we can just make a whole podcast session talking about this feminine leadership because I think that that feels really um, alive for me. Um, Would you be into it sometime? (laughs) Are you kidding? (laughs) I feel like I'm just like chatting with my, my buddy on the phone here. So the fact that, yeah, this is crazy fun and I'm, I'm just like so honored to be talking with you. Oh, thanks. The feeling is quite mutual. And the cool thing is, like, I, like I think everyone is listening and probably feels that way. So could you tell um, could you tell folks out there how they can keep in touch with you and your work absolutely. that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is ConsciousCompanyMagazine.com, um, and that is kind of the best place to find us <laughs> and all of our, our all of our social media handles are at Conscious Co Mag. Uh, we've got some great conversations on our different social media sites. Um, and yeah, if, if you want to get in touch with me personally, just reach out to Gracie. And uh, ah, that's yeah, this has been such a joy. I'm so I'm so stoked with this that I got to talk with you today. I I feel the same way. So thanks, Megan, and thanks to everyone out there listening. And let's let's just practice a few of the things we talked about. You know, you can go realizing that a little feedback could be the way that you really help someone that you care about. Let your freak flag fly and just try it out as an experiment. <laughs> and, you know, really to, like, know that, that the courage to, to, like, stay on your path is, like, an important thing. And there are people out there who are doing it with you. So thanks, everybody. Have a good, have a good time. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah. Hi, this is Gracie with Beautiful Life Self-Care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more, then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where on Wednesday afternoons, I'll send you more self-care practices, more inspiration, and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also, write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. And remember, keep putting yourself first and everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm.